Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Sync. Welcome back, everyone, <laughs> to uh, the Unqualified Therapist, where I can't get a hold of myself. And that's okay. That's all right. Oh, we need God. some laughter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, life is real heavy, so um, <laughs> I'm just laughing about what we're going to tell you. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's like, just another, it's, it's another installment in Amy and Sarah are too old to be using anything that anything young kids that use. Anything that those youngins use. <laughs> also, Amy is still putting you know upsetting the apple cart over here <laughs> in her hundred year old body brain no brain the body's 24 okay uh, yeah <laughs> so I have when I'm away from Sarah like I have these like lists of things mentally in my head that have nothing to do with anything that I want to tell her when I see her so I'm like eh, th- th-, and none of them have any- <laughs> like they're not related well one of those things recently was <laughs> hey did you uh, know that I've been using this emoji wrong, like <laughs> my entire existence of emoji l- using life? You know what? I was like really hoping that you were going to tell me when you were explaining this emoji to me. Uh-huh. I was like, please tell me she's been using the eggplant as something different. <laughs> like, please tell me she's like sending the eggplant like feeling healthy today. <laughs> gonna eat some veggies eggplant emoji if it was like my veggie emoji and like how i was gonna be healthy yeah that would be that would be great um but no i'm not that out out of touch touch. no no um so and perhaps dear listeners you also don't know this or i had no idea um and, and okay so the star with the circle around it sort of like a shooting star but in a circle exactly yeah I've been using that for like meaning like magic or like spiritual sort of kind of (laughs) I don't know but I primarily use it in my posts about my yoga classes (laughs) come experience yoga (laughs) with a magical star like magic (laughs) like we're gonna have this experience no that's not what it fucking means It means getting dizzy. <laughs> like just so weird. Dizziness. Dizzy. Dizziness. Like falling over. Falling <laughs> over. Come to my yoga class. You'll fall over. You'll get dizzy and fall over and smack your head. Oh, it was so embarrassing. I've only told Sarah and I, apparently now I've told all of you. <laughs> um, I use it all the time. I mean, I love used. it past yes tense. yes mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. we're still gonna use it between one another because it's just too funny not yeah. to know yeah yeah when something's ridiculous like definitely we're using that star yeah i want to know who out there has been using an emoji wrong and found out so oh let us gosh. know please tell us yes send you us never a dm do, so do it for yes, real for real send us a dm we'll tell everybody we'll keep it anonymous if you want but i would love to I know i also want to know is anybody else using that as a magical star? Yes. Anybody else using it for that for that purpose? This Did you your, also think? This is your PSA that it means like not that. 
<laughs> it's like dizzy and fall down. Like, you know, like the stars in the cartoons that are over yes. your head. Yeah. That's what it means. Oh, well, that makes sense. It makes now sense. Now that you say it like that. But come I didn't on. know. I thought I took it spiritually this whole time. Like, I just thought like magic. Mm-hmm. And it was because my car read it to me and it was like dizzying. <laughs> what? I was like, hold the front door. <laughs> so I looked it up and then I said, lies. <laughs> so I looked it up in a different place and then a third place. And I was like, my face must have been priceless because <laughs> I had come to this like realization like, oh, my God, all this time. <laughs> so I can only hope that no one else knew. Also, if you knew, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> That's a really good point. Like you're using this wrong. Like aim. Or maybe they thought you were like, come get dizzy with happiness. I don't know. I don't know. But it means like hit your head. (laughs) I don't want anyone hitting their head in yoga class. Okay. Oh my gosh. I also wonder if people have been using them differently and find out if it's because their car is reading them their text messages. Oh my gosh. Because that's how you found out. Like. Because it says, like, you know, dizzy emoji. Yes. Laughing emoji or whatever. Yeah. Oh, man. It is. I mean, cars reading emojis is epic. (laughs) And um, I was super nervous, like, except clearly for a reason, because it was awful and painful uh, going to get my tattoo. And Mike knew that. And so he, like, sent me these ridiculous texts and they were emojis. And I was like, this is hilarious, uh, especially since my car is reading it. Yeah. So then the next one was from the car's perspective, <laughs> as if the car was speaking to me. Um, my Hyundai was uh, Santa Fe was uh, having a convo with me and it was hilarious. So funny. So, oh, yeah, Mike. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, guys. So. PSA, uh, shooting star emoji is actually dizzy, hitting head emoji. Don't use. Don't use in that context. All right, cool. Outside of that context. Oh my gosh, I needed to laugh. Yes, we needed some laughs. We needed some giggles. (laughs) Because today we're going to dive in a little bit. And um, I'm going to open up the floodgates. Hopefully not. I don't want to lose it on Yeah, yeah. So I think starting with some laughs is going to help. The interesting part about Sarah and I is that... um, Sarah can't stop crying and I can't cry. <laughs> yeah. Is that a yin and a yang thing? It is. A, I mean, it might be. I want I want us to balance out, though. Like, I wouldn't right. mind crying every once in a while. And I would love to chill it for I, a sec. I, like, produced <laughs> tears yesterday and it was a big, huge, it was like, a big deal. breakthrough. I hugged her for, like, a full <laughs> minute. I was like, I'm so happy for you. Because I know what that's like, because I've gone through periods of time where I couldn't cry. It's been like three years now. Yeah. And so like when it does come, you're like, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we are going to dive into Sarah's story. Um, It's very nuanced and there's a lot of layers to it. Um, it, And I kind of wanted to start because I learned about a new mental illness that I hadn't, or diagnosis, I guess mm-hmm. I should say, yeah. that I had not ever heard of. And I mean, you know, I, I say I'm unqualified, but I feel like I have a pretty good knowledge of mental illnesses. Um, but I found out because uh, Sarah got a new diagnosis. Yeah, which was helpful. So it's like being able to put names on things. And, and honestly, like, I know we want to try to strive for like label list stuff, but sometimes being able to label something yeah. makes it so much easier because it's like, oh, okay, this makes sense. This is why. Right. And so then you can work through and sort of know how to deal with something a little bit better. Yes. When it has a name, you feel less crazy. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's a reason behind this madness. Yeah. And I will say that we were reading the, um, symptoms I guess yeah symptoms of complex PTSD and Sarah has all of them mm-hmm. check mark on all check mark on all so <clears throat> I looked it up um, obviously PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder so complex uh, is when you have a repeated experience of traumatic events and so that could be violence neglect abuse um, and I'm going to add in loss like big loss mm-hmm. Um, and so they talk about 
that it doesn't have to be like this. It says if it's more severe, if it's happened early in life or if you're alone in the trauma or if you experience the trauma for a long time. So it's really interesting because it does say it takes years for the symptoms of PTSD to be recognized. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it did take all of this time. But specifically, there was a situation uh, with Sarah's mom passing that triggered it. Right. And that's where the diagnosis came from. Yes. But like, I feel like you have to start (laughs) back a little bit. Yes. Um, So I am going to... No, I'm not going to go into great detail just because I think that's when we do episodes really talking about our stories and where we came from, you know, we can go into some detail about um, our lives and our stories. I, But I, you know, I'm going to sort of go over some of these things, but I am also going to leave out some pretty huge significant <laughs> events as well in my story um, because what I'm going to focus on today is just is, is grief and loss. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> there are some other aspects that I've experienced um, that, you know, are traumatic. Yes. But this is, we're primarily like discussing grief and loss in this episode. Yes. Um, so this, this diagnosis of complex PTSD was, was quite helpful. <laughs> and um, what, are, what were some of the symptoms that you had found on there? Oh, ready? Hi, this is Sarah. <laughs> uh, feelings of shame or guilt, difficulty controlling your emotions, Periods of losing attention and concentration, uh, disassociation. Here we go. Physical symptoms such as headaches, dizziness, chest pains, and stomach aches. Ding, ding, ding. Mm-hmm. Oh, cutting yourself off from friends and friends and family. <laughs> hmm. Relationship difficulties, destructive or risky behavior, and suicidal ideations. Yeah. So I can put a check mark next to all of those things. Um, I think more recently, I haven't been doing the destructive behavior. That was more of like a college, Sarah. Um, but the rest of it is still pretty current and um, yeah. happening right now. <laughs> so, But it makes a lot of sense. It does. And so I think, you know, recognizing these things is, is definitely helpful in my healing process and has helped a lot. And I'm really excited for Dr. Stewart Katie, Dr. Katie Stewart, to come on with us in May, and we're going to dive into some different mental illness diagnoses so that she can explain these things so that we can all have a better understanding and hopefully um, help in our healing or help in our understanding of the loved ones that we Mm -hmm. may be caring for and loving during their times of struggle. So I'm going to start sort of at the beginning (laughs) and yeah, rewind it back. Yeah. I just, I mean, I'm just going to like also echo what you just said. Like we're not glossing over these situations. It's just that we really want to get into talking about this last loss, but just to give you guys some background, you have to understand that it was like boom, 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 um, her entire life. And so that's where we're starting in the beginning. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you Mm -hmm. for clarifying that. So, um, when I was eight years old, we, lived in a little suburb of Columbus, Ohio called Dublin. And I was on a swim team there and just, um, really trying to find friends and find myself, you know, I'm eight. Um, I had actually, we'd moved around a whole bunch. And so this was sort of a new beginning for me as well. And, um, so I had found this friend on the swim team who was a year younger than me. And she was like that typical, um, girl who was like tiny, but freaking fierce. Yeah. Like she just, everybody loved her. And I feel like it always happens like that. You know, um, she was just this little force. She was, uh, the MVP on the swim team at seven. This is all new information. I've not heard this part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at seven years old, she was just very talented. Um, as an athlete and just a cool little girl. And so, you know, I loved hanging out with her and she and I weren't like best friends or super close or anything like that, but she was a friend and, and, um, we, we just had a great time together. And at the end of our season, we had this big party and we were in the pool and we played this game that I I don't even know if there's a name for it, but you grease a watermelon and you put it in the pool and you try to, whoever can hold on to the watermelon for like 10 seconds or whatever wins. So they grease up this watermelon and they toss it in the deep end. And there's like 40 girls just clamoring, trying to get a hold of this watermelon. 
And so we're like, I'm, I touched it at like one point and it slid right out from my yeah. fingers and I went under the water and I was getting freaked out. I had got like kicked in the ribs and Ooh. I was just like, I got to get out of here. So I'm like scrambling, swimming to the side. And I remember pulling myself up on the side and just sitting there on the edge of the pool and trying to catch my breath and just watching everybody scramble over this, this game. And I was like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I, I, because it's us, I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, but they don't play that game anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, like, you know, yeah. a little dark humor. Oh, yes. God. Yes. So um, that sounds horrible. I mean, it was a very was, 80s. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was the 80s. So let's, like, yeah, let's be clear. You can run in the street. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. This was, I think it was 1988. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yes, very <laughs> 80s. Um, so, the party wraps up and, you know, everybody's sort of packing up their things. It's been a while and people start calling for my friend, Kate. And so it's, you know, initially just this like, has anybody seen Kate? Has anybody seen her? And we're just sort of walking around the pool and um, and then I, I can feel right now, even thinking back, the desperation of her mom. And I can see her mom starting to really like scream for her and yell for her. And so I start to feel that desperation and that panic and it becomes this full on search. And so now it's it's scary. We don't know where she is. We don't know what's going on. And I happened to just something caught out of the corner of my eye. And initially I was like, I saw this green and white sort of out of the corner of my eye in the deep end. And I was like, oh, that's weird. The watermelon sank. And. Then I, I looked again and I was like, oh my God, it's, that's not the watermelon. And at the bottom of the pool, I saw my little friend, Kate, and she just looked like she was in the middle of doing like snow angels, you know, her little arms and legs were just kind of out. And I yelled and I was like, that's her, that's her. And the lifeguard jumped in and grabbed her and pulled her out. And it was just pure chaos at that point. Oh my God. Um, you know, her mom is screaming and crying. Her dad is holding on to her and holding her back while they're trying to perform CPR on her. They've called 911 um, and, you know, they're doing CPR and I could hear just water coming out of my poor little friend, like, you know, just the the sound of it. And <clears throat> after a little bit, a helicopter came and she was life flighted to the hospital, but she had died on the way to the hospital. So, um was it was the scariest oh hardest thing that I had ever experienced at that point in my very short life because uh, you were eight yes mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um it was terrifying and and I remember getting in the car afterwards and like sitting on a towel and my my parents just we were silent just drove us home and this in silence and we never talked about it again I went to her funeral, obviously, and um, the lifeguard who had pulled her out, I went up to give him a hug. He was sitting next to the casket, and I just remember him just dropping his weight on me. Like, I was standing up, and he was sitting down, but he, like, I hugged him, because, I mean, I knew him, too, Mm -hmm. and he was probably, I would say, like, 20, maybe. Yeah. And he just sort of, like, leaned and just, like, put his weight and just sobbed like his chest was heaving and I'm just I'm eight years old and I'm holding on to this man and I'm like I don't know what to do I'm feeling the same way but I don't feel like I can do this right now like like that I can cry and that I can break down like I need to be here for him so I'm holding on to him and letting him just unload basically Mm -hmm. and and then I you know remember releasing him and that's all like that's the only memory I have of the funeral. And so we moved a couple months later. Wow. Not because of that yeah, or anything. My still. dad got a job and we moved, you know, um, about three hours away. And that was kind of that. We left it behind us and mm-hmm. my we never really spoke about it again. And I can remember in the next year I was in uh, third grade and they we had to do this project on somebody that we cared about and that was like an inspiration to us and I remember wanting to do it on Kate and um it was just a 
weird. I just, I don't remember exactly the conversation or what happened, but it was a weird thing between me and my mom. Like it was, you know, sort of like, are you sure this is who you want to do the choose yeah. and, and sort of like push back and, but I did it anyways. And that was sort of, I remember that. And then that was that, like, that was it. We never talked about it again. And about six months after that, um, I was asleep and, um, it was a school day and it was in May. So it was like towards the end of the school year. And I remember waking up and I don't know if you ever remember this feeling as a kid when you wake up and it's a school day and you're like, it is later than it should be. Why am I home? Yeah. You know? And so I had that feeling. I'm like, I could tell like the sun had come in my room Mm -hmm. like a little too much. I'm like, why is it? Why am I still home? And then I realized it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what is going on? And I could hear crying downstairs. And so I'm like, oh, oh." and it, but it was a voice I didn't really like recognize right Mm -hmm. away because it was and, and saying, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And so I ran to the top of the steps and I'm looking down and, and the way our house was laid out is that you know the stairs go straight down to the front door and so I'm standing at the top of the steps and at the front door is my dad and my brother's best friend and they're hugging and she's just crying to my dad I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and so I'm like what's going on and this is one of those tough moments too where like I, st- I still like I'm like ah, this is so bad I hope he doesn't like start doing stuff with our technology when I say this but like <laughs> I still like haven't forgiven him for like the way he said it to me like he just looked up at me from the bottom of the steps and just blurted out last night Jeff was killed in a car accident and Jeff oh, was your my- dad did that yes mm-hmm. and that's my brother my brother Jeff and I was like what so here I am this like you know 30 feet away from comfort yeah. and and being held and and, you know, I think now it's like, you should have been holding me. You should yeah. have like held my face or yeah. like kissed me, loved me, eased me into this. Like why? Yeah. And so, you know, it was just this very like, boom, traumatic thing. And that wasn't the last time he did that to me too, by the way. Um, <laughs> that man, he did not know how to deliver news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yet he was on the radio. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. I think that's why it was like, everything was just very matter of fact. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I like slid my way down the steps, like trying to run to get to him as fast as I could and just sobbed into his arms. And it was it was so hard. I mean, my brother was there was a big distance between us in age. He was 10 years older than me, but it still he was my brother. We lived together like we grew up together in the same house, unlike my sisters and I, who were much older. So they we they moved out when I was like I was four. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyways, I was with my brother that whole time so as a nine-year-old I was almost 10 and I was just trying to create normalcy in my brain so I was you know my initial reaction was no this isn't true Mm -hmm. so I was trying to fabricate this whole thing in my mind of like he's he's starting a new life somewhere else and didn't want you know what and going through that and there was just a lot of like, nope, this is this is how it is. And so, you know, my dad took me to go see the car, which was a very difficult experience. That's an interesting decision. Yeah. Very interesting decision that I've talked about in therapy a lot where I'm, I'm like, I don't know what the thought process was there to take to show you that it was yeah, real. I, I think and that's the only thing I can think of is it's like I was creating this alternate reality and so he's like no we need to go and show you like this is what's this is real okay but you know it was I I was having a very hard time handling it obviously and my dad would just say to me well it could always be worse and so this is where the it could always be worse kind of started in and I was like how (laughs) please tell me how and his thought process was he could be brain dead and not alive at all but his body is alive mm-hmm. and or he could be in pain yes and he could be in massive pain he could you know and be um suffering and and not at a point where he would we would be able to end you know end his life or pull the pl- you know what I mean like be living in this existence they're not suffering yes for years and Ugh. years oh isn't that the most barfy it's the barfiest mm-hmm. thing to say so, I mean, that was kind of that. He would explain it to me that way. And then my parents just sort of didn't talk about it. They dove into their work. And again, I do not blame. I've said this before. I do not blame my parents. No, we're just um, trying to unpack it. Yeah. So we don't repeat the behavior. Absolutely. That's all. No yes. blame. 
And um, so he would never cry in front of anybody, including me. He would actually, he did it at work sometimes. He had this like, it felt like a designated time where he would like go into his office and shut the door and cry. And then he'd come out in his sunglasses, which was like, you're not fooling anybody. Um, You're inside. Like, why are you doing that? Uh, And then my mom just totally shut it off. Mm. She actually had told me that this, I mean, years later had told me that she had asked God to not let her cry anymore. And, um, yeah. And so I that didn't was, pray that. I know, I know she oh, did your poor mom. Yeah. So she just dove into work, didn't, um, really focus on anything else, um, for including my, me for a while. And that was tough. Um, some more reinforcement on that, like, don't show your feelings type of thing. You know, she would, she would also tell me like, you gotta just, this was her favorite thing. This is like an Amy ism, like an old lady thing to say. You got to put on your rain slicker and let it just slide off your shoulders. I kind of like it though. <laughs> Nancy, I'm taking it. Yeah. So she would say that to me a lot and not about emotions. I'm going to use it for like what people say about you. Yes. I'm going to yeah. use it like that. That's oh, a I good like, idea. I kind of like it. Okay. Yes. Thanks. I'm like, who says rain slicker? Mom. Nobody would say know what it is. <laughs> so uh, that was like the repeated narrative to me and um you're t- you you're too emotional and that was you know the the story of my life i can remember being 21 years old and it was i was going i had a few friends in high school that turned our birthdays were around the same time so when we turned 21 we all got together at a friend who went to school in North Carolina, we went to her apartment and went down there to like celebrate all of our birthdays at the same time. So it was five days after my 21st birthday and I I had known this was coming. And so that was when my brother had, had been killed in his accident was five days after his 21st birthday. So I had felt this coming and it was sort of this, this feeling that I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to know what it feels like to live like his full time span of life yeah and so this sort of like hit me like that Mm -hmm. all at once and I'm standing on the balcony of my friend's apartment and this comes over me and I'm thinking about what have I accomplished what have Mm -hmm. I done like what am I going to do with my life from here going out like I wonder if he felt these things you know having all these thoughts going through my mind which now as an adult I can say like those are legitimate thoughts feelings things to happen yeah but at that age, um, my friends rolled their eyes at me and said, like, yeah. implied, didn't say straight out, but implied that I was just attention seeking. You had the wrong friends. And girlfriend. then turned around and walked inside and oh, left me sorry. out there. So it was just another, but it was like, okay, I am too emotional. It was I another am. validation of like, yeah. you think too deep. Yep. You feel too deep. Yep. Too much. Too, you are too much, too much. Sarah. Yes. So again, closing it off. So this is where like all of these things, I was just closing things off, closing things off. Um, You know, and then when I was 21, my, I had already known also that my dad was sick at this point. He had become sick when I was 18 and then um, with, with colon cancer. And so when I was 21 is when he actually passed away. And it was actually shortly after that event with my friends Mm -hmm. um so I that was in September my dad passed in November of that same year and so you know just sort of put into place all of those things I had learned before but what did dad say to you before he passed on his deathbed it could be worse that's right (laughs) I mean he is like he's sticking to it sticking to it till the very end (laughs) I was like how could this be worse And, but he could, he found all of these ways. He'd be like, well, it could have happened suddenly and we wouldn't have been able to say goodbye. And I couldn't tell you how much you mean to me. And, um, you know, just yeah. sort of on and on and just always had the, the, it could be worse mentality. And for the longest time, I held that as a noble response. Me too. I held that as mm-hmm. a, wow. That's what, is, and that's what I wanted to be. Yes. He is so evolved mm-hmm. and he is such strong. a strong person. And, um, I now know that that is a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. and, and he was strong in his own right. And he was doing what he needed to do Mm -hmm. to get through. Yeah. Um, 
so, you know, I just put all those things into place. And so then when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018 and I was scared to death, <laughs> I just repeated over and over again about how it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be worse. And just put that all into play. And um, so with every I, every person that I talked to that had a breast cancer diagnosis, I was like, well, theirs is worse than mine. I have to be thankful for where I am in my journey. Right. And, um, you know, if you've listened to our Gaslighter episode, which we've got to do another one again and do it again, talk more in depth um, because it was so early in the beginning of what we do. And so yeah. like, we need to have a more like... I guess grounded episode around that. Um, but I, ha- I was in a very toxic friendship that had taken kind of a different level of hold over my life than a typical friendship would. And um, it was a it was definitely a gaslighting one. And so I was made to feel because uh, because I was told quite often from this friend that I wasn't the same as I used to be. I was no fun anymore. And I needed to just get back to how I was. And like nobody's going to want to spend time with you if you're always upset and whatever yeah. and I mean okay yeah I know <laughs> uh-huh. I was just like you know and so at the time I remember like this was kind of the, the beginning of the crack of that veneer that I had yeah and I'm kind of oh I can't believe I'm gonna say this it makes me feel a little sick in my stomach to say, say it grateful I'm kind of grateful for her she and pushed the, you yeah she pushed me into that spot of being like uh no you also had a wackadoo me who was like hey i'm just gonna tell you all the things <laughs> no that was that you're not a wackadoo i know but i mean it was just it was wackadoo for your world but it was a good yes it was a good mixture of the two it was like a dichotomy mm-hmm. of like don't feel this way and show this face to the world don't do that yeah and then you coming in and being like i'm gonna show you my truth yeah and i'm gonna show you what's really going on with me it's okay for you to show me too. Yeah. And so I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't have to be right over here. This yeah. person over here telling me not to feel anything still mm-hmm. like, because I had been told that so much in my life. I'm like, this is normal. And then yeah. you coming in and being like, no, it's not oh, like, here's a new idea. <laughs> here's a new thought. Let's be real. <laughs> um, so that was that crack. And that was kind of where I started to be able to break it down and, 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 actually feel what I was feeling but pushing down and trying to ignore and that's a tough thing a very tough thing Um, doing that definitely opened something inside of me and all of these things that had happened all of the things I just told you along with some other things that had also come into play washed over me and it was like whoa So I wrote this blog post on October 1st in 2018. So I had been diagnosed in April of that year and had already had my full mastectomy and was just feeling scared. And I was able to finally sort of visualize in my head and put down on paper this world that I was just now discovering of there is (laughs) this scary part over here Mm -hmm. that I have to address but be very careful with Mm -hmm. and um so here's that post it's called walk the line um do you have a calm place i do it's my deep breathing meditation space in my mind there's a gorgeous green field full of beautiful wildflowers it smells of honeysuckle and fresh rain the wildflowers add swipes of purple yellow orange and white and it looks like a monet I love the feeling of the cool, soft, grassy earth beneath my bare feet. Mother Earth radiating her calm energy through the souls to the soul. This is my calm place. My reality. The field is still there to the right. Always there, always present. To the left is a cliff. A cliff with jagged edges all the way down with hundreds of feet to drop until the bottom. There, the sea's waves crash into the rocks with the persistence of trying to bring them out into the darkness. This is the line. The line between the field and the drop. This is where I've been living. I walk this line every day, and every day can give me the view of a calming, soul-lightening field of wildflowers, and with a quick turn of the head, the terrifying, stomach-wrenching view of the cliff. It's all in a day's work, balance is. You see, I'm not comfortably walking on the field anymore, and the cliffs aren't in the distance as they used to be. Now I balance on the edge like a tightrope walker. 
cliff under the left side of my lined up feet, field under the right. Only instead of a crowd of strangers there to cheer me on, it's my friends and family constantly worried about me, always afraid I'm going to plummet and let the waves take me under. Just a slip of the foot or a thought. That's all it takes. I will make it through one huge slip after another and still be able to catch my balance right back to the line. And then a step on a small pebble can cause me to jerk my foot up in pain and gravity takes over. I can only take so much at once. Any human can. The fall can be long and the impact is always intense. But the hardest part? Not letting the waves take me out into the darkness. I've fallen many a time, but I've mastered climbing that cliff right back to the top. And when I get there, I grab onto the soil and grass and flowers for dear life and pull myself up. I breathe. I stand. And then I fight for balance again. Soon, I hope to be able to balance myself enough to step completely over into the field. I'll lie in the wildflowers and break open some honeysuckle while finding shapes in the clouds above. I'll let the breeze make my hair dance across my face. I'll let myself sink into the soft soil. I know everyone has their issues and everyone deals with them differently, and no one's issues are better or worse than anyone else's. Be gentle to one another, but most importantly, be gentle with yourself, because you are everything. So walk your line. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you are mine, I walk the line. Johnny Cash. So that was the post that I wrote at the time. And I still feel this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I still feel like sometimes I'm more in the mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm still balancing on that side. But that was sort of the beginning of me being able to deal with those feelings and actually feel something. Would you say that was like your first vulnerable time of like being able to be like, oh shit. Yeah. Everything's not okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And when I started to talk about this, (laughs) it was mixed responses in the people in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where it's like, I'm so thankful for you and for Randy and for my mom at that time too. Mm-hmm. Cause it was like, I feel like we, we had this very hard to explain volatile, volatile is such a harsh word, but relationship where it was just, it was not a linear relationship. No. Yeah. It was very, we had our ups and downs and you know, because there was always that pushback of like, she didn't want to feel her feelings. So if I felt mine with her, that was hard for mm-hmm. her. And so um, there was a lot of back and forth in that sense. Um, she also had very different political views than I did, which was a tough, especially tough thing. in the past few years. Yeah. 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 And um, because of everything that I had been feeling, I also had some hard times in high school with some religious groups with sorry with a religious group and so I'd given like a lot of pushback on religion and that was very difficult for her like she just did not love that by any means well no not at all (laughs) and so we had a lot of back and forth between like religion and spirituality because Mm -hmm. I was leaning more on the spirituality side of things and was like listen I still have this relationship you know and feel a connection to spirituality. I just am not going to put myself in like an organized religion situation. And that yeah. she used to tell me, she used to cry. She was like, it's, I'm scared for your soul. Mm. I want, you know, so there was just a lot of up and down with our relationship and things like that. But what was really cool is that around April of 2021, I had been going through years of therapy. I had been doing so much work and I decided to finally like kind of implement that in my relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. So I just started asking her really hard questions and you know, it changed our relationship. It yeah. changed things and this switch sort of flipped and we started to really open up with one another and we talked about deep things. She opened up and told me that she never allowed herself to grieve for her husband, my dad never allowed herself to grieve for her son, my brother. Um, and that sh- that's when she had told me, I asked God, please don't let me cry anymore. I can't cry anymore. She probably felt like it was going to swallow her up whole. Yeah. And I can remember, I have a memory of her talking to my sisters. Um, it was sort of this like, the, 
the three girls and my mom, you know, the four of us in the bathroom and everybody's like in different states of undress, like we're getting ready for something, you know, and she's like, you girls just need to read this book. It's called stick a geranium in your hat and be happy. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Am I allowed to have that reaction? Yes, you are. I had, I can remember at like 11 years old being like, what? Ew. Like feeling that way. And, you know, everybody just sort of, oh, okay. And she's talking about, you know, this, this woman lost, I, and, and this is a real book. It's a, you know, real woman who had awful tragedies happen. Your I mom's think she, also probably comparing it to like Job. And so she's like, yeah, Job trials. Yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. He didn't cry. No. <laughs> and so this woman like lost children and, mm-hmm. you know, that she also had been through all these tra- traumas and her theory was to just stick a geranium in your hat and be happy <laughs> so that was like what my I mean, mom was gonna do yeah oh so it was it was a it was like I said that push and pull that up and down um but finally we were connecting and then she said to me I finally told God I'm ready I'm ready to cry I'm ready to let it hurt that's like whoo and that was like in 2021. Yeah. So it was this amazing evolution of our relationship. Yeah. That I am trying to see from a standpoint of, you know, our therapist is like, <laughs> instead of looking at it like I didn't get enough time, mm-hmm. I'm mad about this. Mm-hmm. Why don't you look at it as I'm so thankful I actually got to have that six months. Yeah. Of. Because it's not always bad to look at the positive side. Yes, exactly, exactly. So Sarah and I are not saying that. We're saying there is <laughs> there are times for that, and having gratitude for the fact that you were able to, yeah. In a way, you brought that to her, though. Yeah, and that's kind of a beautiful thing too. Like let her Earth side to grieve, give yeah. her that permission. Right, right. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful time. And, you know, it used to be, and I hate to say this, it's like, so my sister and I talk about this sometimes, it's like, you know, sometimes when we would either be visiting with her or on the phone with her, you know, you're like rolling your eyes and like when you're, especially on the phone, there'd be times, this is so bad, that I would like hold the phone away from my ear for like five full minutes and then put the phone back up and be like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) So I just happened to somehow be around for the last conversation <laughs> that you guys had yes and the phone was I came in to the studio and the phone was like on the table on speakerphone and you look at me and you're just like oh, Nan and you like point yeah. to it and you're like Nancy and she is going on and on and yeah. on about the things she wants Sarah to have and like I mean in detail yes now mind you she had no idea that she no. was sick at all no but like there's a butter dish. I know about this butter dish <laughs> and this butter dish needs to get on eBay and it's got this on it. And uh-huh. I mean, I mean, it was like in such great detail and it was like, <laughs> so I get that. I hear yeah. I, it. I heard it. Yes. And, and so, but she was saying it with such like enthusiasm. Yeah. And it really was important. Yeah. It was very important. Very important. So, yeah, I mean, it was just this beautiful thing. It was so healing for both of us. And so, like, I, I felt that our visits were changing. And, like, when I would go there, I wouldn't want to leave. Whereas mm-hmm. before, I was like, all right, it's time for us to go. We got to pack up. But then I wouldn't want to leave. And we were leaving late. And the kids are falling asleep in the car. And, like, yeah. you know, but I, I just, I felt this draw to be with her more. And it was just this beautiful last six months of our relationship that just really sort of took a different turn than it than it had in the past. And I'm very thankful for that now. Um And so during this time, and I don't know if it was just this healing that happened between me and her that just made things better. And the fact that I was recognizing the pain and like allowing myself to sort of feel it and, and knowing that she had felt that way too. Mm -hmm. And that it was like giving, it was making it okay for me to have sort of validating those years of the way I had felt, but Mm -hmm. had kept quiet. Mm -hmm. I, it was like, I turned on a light switch Mm -hmm. and the the clouds of my depression sort of dissipated and it was like I could see that field again mm-hmm. and I was able to like take steps onto solid ground and be like in the grass and like 
feeling good. And oh my God, I felt so good. I felt so good. It was the most significant change I've ever seen in a person. Yeah. Like it was like night and day. It was, it was. And it was almost like a light switch overnight. Mm-hmm. I was like, who's this? I was yeah. like, and then I was like, am I going to like this person? <laughs> she was just, I don't even know. It was, she was really free. And, yeah. you know, I say that in jest. I want everyone to feel free and like, and, and healed. Yeah. Uh, but it was so different. Yeah. Because I haven't felt that probably yeah. since I could remember. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't really have memories from before you're like five years old and so you know I don't have a lot of like joyful memories I don't have a lot of thoughts like that start early for you yeah (laughs) so like my life has just been full of sadness and so that was like a whole different feeling and it felt amazing and good and great and wonderful and you know then we went to New Orleans and it like even blossomed more and just all of these things started opening up and I felt on stable ground. And, and then, light. yes, and light. And then that phone call you were just talking about, my mom calls and it's a Wednesday afternoon. And like you said, Amy comes into the studio, I'm on the phone with her and she's going on and on about like, when I die, I want Shelly to have this. That's my sister. Lori to have, that's my other sister. Mm-hmm. The, you to have this. And she's going on and on and like naming all these specific things. And like you said, she's like going into all this detail about this butter dish that's worth all this money. I don't like, know. Like, and she's like, I know you can do that on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> so finally, you're like, I, know, I go, Mom, is there something you're not telling me? And she goes, Oh, no. You know, yeah. and she's like, No, I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking about these things. And, so she was, she, she said, she played it off and said she was thinking about moving to Florida yes, with Shelly. Yes. So when I move, mm-hmm. I just want these things to mm-hmm. go to the right people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So I also feel like I want to just give a little note that my mom probably could have really dug into her intuitive side and been able to do a lot of things that. I know that that side of the family has the capability of doing. Yeah. She has known things. So my mom said Mm -hmm. to me once, Mm -hmm. um, I always knew that one of my children was going to die. I found that to be astonishing. I was like, are you serious? And so she just had these like, that was a big one. Feeling. She absolutely did. I think had a premonition or a feeling that this was kind of coming to the end for her. So that was Wednesday afternoon. And then on Thursday, I had a conversation with um, a friend of ours who is an intuitive person and she was talking to me about, and I think this is so bizarre, like, and I, just to let you know, have all these stomach issues. She's like, you're ha- you're, you have these stomach issues and you're um, very sick and there's something you need to, something needs to happen. Like you need to take care of it right away. But at that point I didn't have them. I did not have these stomach issues. And so I was like, this is weird. <laughs> That's right. You didn't. And about three hours after that conversation, my sister called me and said, mom is throwing up and like can't stop. And the ambulance is there and they're taking her to the hospital. Can you get there right now? And I said, absolutely. And so she lived about an hour away from me. And so I got in the car. I flew down there, got to the emergency room. And, you know, that's when they told me she has had a massive heart attack Um, we've never seen somebody come in here alive with the blockage that she has in her heart. Um, and that, you know, she was a hundred percent blocked in one valve, 95% blocked in a second valve and 95% blocked in a third valve. And so they took her to the cath lab. They did what they could. She went into the ICU. And, um, from that point, my sisters flew up from Florida. They were there within hours and we just spent the next 24 hours, alternating rotating out of the her room with her just loving on her just telling her how much we loved her telling her to fight and she had said I don't want to do have them do everything they can I don't I'm not ready I don't want to go and so we did that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they did everything that they possibly could and it had gotten to a point where they said either she's going to have another heart attack and and 
and she's going to die from that Mm -hmm. in the next hour or so Mm -hmm. if we keep her on this level of medication um or you can allow like just take that medication off and she can she'll go peacefully but it's not going to end in the other way you know so we chose for her to not experience another mm-hmm. violent episode and so we were there with her for her last breaths and held her hand and just told her how much we loved her over and over again i kissed her forehead my sister did you know we just made sure that she knew what she meant to us and that is a beautiful thing to be able to do Mm -hmm. I had never been with someone when they transitioned before Mm -hmm. my sisters both had been with my dad when he passed Um, I was not there and it was something that I always was so regretful and so sad about and it from their recounting of it, it was not as it was not like what happened with our mom. Our mom sort of took her last breaths and was like peacefully gone. Um, so I'm just, I'm just thankful and grateful for having been there. Uh, but in that moment, in standing in that grassy field, I felt like someone took a running start (laughs) and shoved me off and into the rocks below. And that high that I had been feeling and that lightness and that healing that I had had was just wrecked in yep. one in 24 hours. I mean, it just, I can't believe how quickly those things. How quickly it came and how quickly it went. Yes, yes. And we were talking yesterday, you only had a month or two in that space. Yeah. So you weren't on a stable footing just yet. So you were able to, you know, obviously this is a huge life event. Um, but it, it was able to just shove you right over to the side. Yeah. Literally over the edge. Yep. Yeah. What I will say, the good thing about living a life <laughs> of trauma and sadness and depression and climbing back up is that you kind of get to know where the footholds are yeah, and the crevices are for you to grab onto and pull yourself back up. So, you know, it's like I knew, I knew what to do, (laughs) but there was this other element to it then, which is fresh grief. Yeah. So, and you're coming from a different place where you feel things. Exactly. So it's a different grief altogether. And then because you weren't feeling the other ones before, that all compounds and yep. now you're grieving all Everything. of these people at once. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it was a complete wrecking ball shitstorm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, it was to decipher between grief and depression mm-hmm. is a hard thing. It you is. know that. It is. Because you've lived that too. It's Mm -hmm. like when you already have depression Mm -hmm. and then experience grief on top of that, you have to think, is this my grief or is this my depression? And if this is my depression, I know what to do. Mm -hmm. And here are some steps I can take. If this is my grief, that's a whole different ballgame. So you have to be careful to try to not should on yourself when you're in grief. When you're in depression, you also don't want to do that, but it is sort of like, okay, you After know. the 24 hours, yes. we always say, you know, okay, you got to move a little bit. Exactly. Um, yeah, the, like yeah, if but, you get up, you're going to feel better. Uh-huh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So those of us who have been around the block with depression understand that you get 24 hours to wallow, wallow and the mm-hmm. need to move. Yes. Um, grief is a completely different situation. Right. So, I mean, I know... Yeah, like you said, like it's like I know if I do X, Y, Z, I'm gonna feel yeah. better with depression. Taking um, a walk doesn't help your grief. No, <laughs> it does just, not. Like if you want me to plainly say, like yes. taking a walk is not going to help your grief. No, like, it just isn't. <laughs> it might, like, I don't even know. Maybe for a hot second, literal second, but that's it. Alleviate some symptoms or something. Yeah, but it's not. But you're yeah. still gonna feel like shit. Yeah. So, 
what I'm trying to do now and what I've learned is that I have to let myself grieve. And that means I have to be okay with leaning into pain. Yep. And that's really fucking hard. It is. And, you know, it's just something that in therapy is like, really, that's really what she's trying to work with me on. She's like, you need to be able to decipher and say, this is my grief and I've got to let it, let it come over and wash over me. And so, you know, when we were talking about doing this episode, we were thinking like, how do you get back up when you're knocked down like that and you're in a good space, but not so much in that good space that you can recover a little Mm -hmm. bit more easily. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that somebody who's in a great place in life and whatever gets hit with the death of somebody and they are, they can handle it better. Like, that's not what I mean. Um, I mean, that's navigating these murky waters of the grief and depression together simultaneously and just really figuring that out. I'm still not okay. It's only been five months since I've lost her. It's a very long five months. Wow. It's a very long five months. Yes. Um, And I'm still grieving. I'm Mm -hmm. still in a a grieving place. And so I'm trying to be more gracious with myself in recognizing those two different worlds and parts that are just very much stirred together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So trying to separate them is, is hard. But I wanted to give some things... If anybody else is going through the same type of situation, I wanted to give you some things that have been helping me. And I don't want you to think that I'm like, this is going to heal you and you're going to feel 100% better. And, you know, that's just not just how it goes. just giving you little tiny things to put in your suitcase. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so the number one thing is therapy. I mean, it's, my therapist has yeah. been phenomenal. She's just really good at what she does. And so finding that person that you can connect with in therapy that can help you see the things that are normally kind of uh, common sense for other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you're in that world, it's hard to see for yourself. So if you can't find a therapist, having a trusted friend and confidant mm-hmm. that you can talk to. Um, and we're going to mention that over and over again and really talk. We're going to talk that. a little bit how, about how to um, facilitate that friendship. Yes. Yeah. That's really hard to do. It is. And we've just learned how. So yeah. Um, We're still kind of working oh, through yeah. it. There's so many kinks it to it, but like, you you know, it's one thing to say like find a trusted friend, but then it's like we're in a world of like, you know, as adults, it's hard to have a friend. It is. So how do you go about that? Right. So we'll talk more about that another time. But you know, that is a good way if you and we know we know we're not trying to be like is daft the right word <laughs> to the fact that there's not a lot of therapists right now. Yeah. We know you can't get in. Yes. Um. But. So we're trying to give you other get on wait lists. Yes. Like and keep calling in the mental health world. It was never this hard to get a therapist, but it was hard for me to do other things. Get, you know, other support. Wait list. Call, call, call. You have to advocate for yourself. Like you have to. And when you're depressed, it's hard to. So hard to. But make that be the only thing you have to do Mm -hmm. for this day. Right. Is call again. Yeah. Or if you have someone in your life, if you can't, if you cannot do that. Which, trust me, I understand being in that place, too, where it's like, I just, I can't. I can't make that phone call. If you have someone in your life who can do that for you um, just once a day, yeah, that's awesome, too. Also, um, this is going to sound silly, but there's there's an Instagram account called The Real Depression Project. Yes. And that account has helped me immensely. I will tag them and put this put that in our show notes for you to find them I purchased the book that they have in their um, bio called overcoming depression and it's like a workbook so it is a book but you have to you got to do some work Mm -hmm. so it's writing a lot down um, of what's going on inside of you and it has helped me a whole lot One of the tips in therapy that I just want to share as well that has helped is that my therapist has helped me to visualize my depression as something outside of my body and not something that is like in me and that is me. I am not my depression. It is not me. It is this thing that exists outside of me and that I can look at and be like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Sounds like a silly thing, but give it a try. 
it's really been helpful for me. Uh, the biggest thing, though, that has helped is finding times to allow myself to not be okay. I This happens a lot in the shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my showers have become sort of like my space to just let it all out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let it all out like ugly cry, sobbing, feel like I'm going to throw up sometimes, like crying so hard, like... Um, I have gotten angry. I've screamed in the shower and like punched the wall. Like that's like my space to just kind of just let it happen. If I hear a song that triggers my emotions instead of changing the song, I listen to it and let it make me sad unless I'm driving for Lyft. And then I do not. (laughs) Because that's just weird. I feel like my Lyft driver is freaking losing it. One star, never ride with her again. <laughs> no tip. <laughs> um, and then sort of the last thing in that sense of like allowing myself to feel things is it's it's helping me as well to allow my kids like to say to yeah. them like, hey, how are you feeling? Are you feeling sad about this? Are you feeling angry about this? Like, let's talk about it as a family. Yeah. And doing that together is helping helping me a lot. Well, also it's like, doing what you had wanted as you were growing up right you're feeling the things Mm -hmm. and letting them feel the things yeah do you feel like you've been able to separate the grief and depression or are they so tightly intertwined that you can't I feel like just very recently I'm starting to be able to decipher the two okay but it's taken months I mean and heavy self-awareness that I didn't have before Mm mm-hmm you know, that's, it's, I'm a different person (laughs) in that sense than I was like initially. And so, and it's still, it's still, I'll still learn something new each day that I'm like, oh, that'll help me be able to determine the two. Mm -hmm. Um, Drinking enough water. (laughs) Huge guys. is so big. (laughs) Again, sounds really silly, but your mental and physical health are so closely intertwined that like, I just, I, if I, what, I notice a giant difference in my emotional well-being mm-hmm. when I don't drink enough water and I don't eat enough that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big one. Um, being outside uh, is huge, which has been so hard in the environment that we're in right now. But if you're able to get outside and feel the sun on your face and it does, you don't even have to take a walk. Just get outside for a minute and take some deep breaths of some fresh air. Then um, that's been really helpful for me. Also, even though we're not getting into it in this episode, your parents in the last reading lectured you on getting outside. They did. I know. That I know. I can't wait to like... tell you guys about that. <laughs> so um, the last thing that I've done, and I know some of you are going to be like, yeah, that's so not for me. And that's OK. Take what you want from what we give and leave leave behind what you don't. Um, but the last thing that has been super healing for me is actually seeing a medium. Um, and so, you know, I feel like it's brought me a lot of closure. It has brought me a lot of comfort. Um, my heart was so full after this last reading and it has been extremely healing for me. So take that with and do with it what you will. (laughs) Yeah. Not for everyone. Yes. But, um, lots of things that, you know, I, I can't wait for you to tell you all about it because, a lot of what we talked about today was was touched on in, in that session. It was just, it was very cool. But I hope that this helps you out there who may be suffering from complex PTSD or who may have a loss of someone that you had a complex relationship with and just are looking for healing in that sense. Um or who are suffering from depression and grief at the same time, you know, just any of these things. That's why we share our stories. That's why we talk about the things that we've been through is so that we can let you all know, like you're not alone. Right. And we say this all the time, but it, I want to repeat it again. Nothing on this healing journey is linear. Yeah. So no matter how many things you do in your toolbox, you know, you, it's very possible and probable that you're going to fall to your knees crying when something, you know what I mean? Like you're going to go back, the waves are going to take you over of grief and it just happens. And you, I guess that my thing that I would say is like, 
Sarah said, let it happen. Yes. Um, feel it. And then that way you can step out of it. Yeah, definitely. If you're having trouble naming things, um, therapy definitely helps. Therapists <laughs> can help you with that. But also there is a book by Brene Brown called Atlas of the Heart. And yeah, that's literally the purpose of like the book. A, like an encyclopedia or dictionary. Or it, it really is. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty phenomenal thing. And, you know, things that you would think are common sense. Again, it's like when it comes to matters of the heart, sometimes it's hard to see the common sense. There's this song that I played for Amy and I'll play a little bit for you guys here. It's called uh, Waves by Dean Lewis. And so I just want to play that for you. Just not the whole thing, but I'm going to give you a little bit of it. And so that you can know that these things, you know, like we said, it just, you know, sometimes things, different things speak to different people and music really speaks to both of us. There is a swelling storm And I'm caught up in the middle of it all And it takes control Of the person that I thought I was boy I used to know But there is a light in the dark And I feel its warmth in my hands, my heart Why can't I hold on? It comes and goes in waves It always does as our young hearts fade into the Thank you all so much for joining us again this week as we continue to share stories, um, share things that are helping us, and hopefully helping you out there understand that, you know, these deep, deep feelings or um, grief of loss, of depression, that um, you are not alone, that there are many of us who feel that way. And I, I appreciate the fact that you open up to hear our stories that you let us in in that way. Thank you all for holding space for us and we will continue to hold space for you. Yeah. Stay wild and weird. We love you. Have a great week. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, join our fan club at Patreon dot com slash unqualified therapists inc follow us on instagram at unqualified therapists where you will find our link tree to all things here at the ut if you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss email us at unqualified therapists at gmail.com until next week warrior hold on we're gonna make it we are, we are. Say it now, say it proud,